0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org.
1: So welcome out to the gathering. My name is Terry. I'm one of the pastors here. This is a special time in the life of our church. You know, we are, you can see our our distinctives over there on the wall. The first one you see on the far left, we are a biblically rooted church. And so every Sunday, uh, Pastor James and I try to walk us through the scriptures, right, Um, and be biblically rooted as people, as individuals, and as a church. But occasionally, once a year, sometimes twice a year, we like to set a Sunday aside and share our stories, and what the Lord has done uh, our, and is doing and, and hopefully will do in our lives. And and the goal here is, is to make much of Jesus, right? To proclaim not just the gospel, but how the Spirit of God uses the gospel of God in our lives and, and works out things to His glory and our good, right? And so hopefully this morning, as these people share, maybe you'll be able to connect a little bit. You'll see some elements in there. You're like, you know what? I get that. I've, I've experienced something like that, or I I have a family member or a friend who who has walked that journey or is walking that journey. And maybe this morning, you'll hear some things that in the future, you look back and say, you know what? I remember that Sunday morning that person shared. Let me think about what they said about Jesus, what they said about the gospel, what they said about the Lord and His Spirit and His work in their lives, and maybe maybe that can be fuel for your soul in your journey as you move forward. So this morning, we have some brave souls who are um, going to be sharing their journeys with us this morning, and, and be, in, be in prayer for them. This is not an easy thing to do, right? This is a, um, this is a transparent, vulnerable place to be, and those of you who have, who've done it before know, um, and so get ready at, at any point in the, in the coming years. You may be asked to share your testimony as well. Uh, so pray pray for these folks this morning. Um, so starting out, you're going to see some videos. And shout out to our director of operations and media, Boaz, back there. You're going to see some, some right? Yeah. Uh, nobody, you don't see Boaz working, but he's like ubiquitous. Like if you see something happen, Boaz has probably had his hand on it somewhere. Um, so he, he um, filmed these videos, edited these, these videos, conducted these video interviews, and that's a lot of work. So shout out to Boaz. Um, but what, we're, what you're going to see is here in just a moment, the Adamses are going to share their testimony together. And when each time uh, the folks share, I'll follow up and we'll have a discussion and maybe some of it will be off the fly, even depending on what you say. I don't know what their answers to me are going to be. Uh, so maybe we'll talk a little more, but we'll, we'll explore together this morning. Let's first hear from Scott and Georgiana Adams. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I wanna begin this morning by asking a question that's kind of difficult to answer. And that question is this, are you humble?
2: I was raised on a farm in Crusoe, which is out about 16 miles outside of Canton. And early on, I observed and learned that everybody had to pitch in to get the job done, that we all needed to work together and pull together to get it done. And every fall, when it was time to pick apples, all of my grandfather's friends and family friends would show up to help us harvest apples. They didn't ask for anything in return. They just came to fellowship and harvest apples. So I saw that from a young age. When I think about that influence from my early life, seeing everybody pitch in, I learned that you work together, you help each other, you serve each other. Wherever there's a need, you just jump in and do it. And you find that there's joy in that. And I think the joy that we had was fellowshipping together, hearing stories, you know, that people would share with each other. It brings you lots of joy. In addition to farming, we were also very involved in church. We were always there, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we were there, and somehow we got all of our farm work done in addition to that.
3: Just like Georgiana's family, we went to church every Sunday. It was who we were. When you're in a small country church, it's all hands on deck. You know, you worked, and if you didn't work, it was kind of like, hey, you need to, you know, pick up the pace and, and join in. We didn't believe in salvation by works, but we did believe that if you were truly saved, that you were going to work. Growing up, that was the the expectation. That's what we did. And to tell you the truth, it actually became a habit. Eventually, I started looking at service as a way to get respect. I was a deacon. I was a Sunday school teacher. I was chairman of the property and space. I was on the personnel committee and I was on the AV, the audio-visual team. So I was busy. I was real busy. And then on January 20th, I was diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukemia, which is a blood cancer. And all those things, I just didn't have the ability to do them anymore. know, the treatment just kicked my butt. The good thing about that time, though, was not being so busy gave me the time to reflect, to see if God was trying to teach me something. And he was. And what I really learned, I learned a couple things. The first one was my motivation was wrong. And the second thing I learned was God was much more concerned with my relationship with him than he was with my church busyness. And learning that has really made a tremendous difference in how I approach doing things at church. Instead of trying to be the person who's out front and center doing things, I'm the person who wants to be in the The shadows are in the background looking for things that need to be done that you don't notice until they're not done.
2: In addition to how God has used me professionally to minister to people, He's also used me at church. I was singing in the choir at our former church and watching the person who was changing the slides and it was laid very, very deeply on my heart that this is where I needed to be. I needed to be doing. Those slides.
3: Every week when we're in the TV room and Georgiana's is doing the slides and I'm uh, working the cameras, that's a joyful thing for us. Not only are we providing the blessings, but we're also so blessed by doing the service.
2: How would I motivate young people to start serving? A couple things is look at what you're passionate about. What do you enjoy doing? What do you like doing? The second thing I would say is pray about it. Be open to what God may be calling you to do, and then look at where God's moving and join in. And I'll give you an example. Transformation Village, you may say, I can't come there, I can't do anything. Well, think about, can you pull a weed? Weeds need to be pulled. Can you use a scoop and put food on a plate? And you may do it a time or two and go, this isn't for me. But you may also find that when I was there, I saw that there was a need for somebody to come and work with the kids. Come and see. And I mean, once you've done a little bit, it will grow on you. You'll find your your spot where you need to be.
3: Finding joy in service for me is pretty easy, simply because the things that I love to do, I've been able to find outlets through service. You know, for example, cooking at Transformation Village. I love to cook. It's one of my things and being able to serve those women is an awesome thing.
2: When you take it to that perspective of, yes, I'm doing this, I'm using what I've been given, and I'm doing it to bless others, to serve others, it it makes a huge, huge difference.
1: Thank you guys for sharing. So, this may be the first time some of you have seen Scott and Georgiana, right? Um, we usually lock them away in the dungeon. No, they—they're always faithfully back there serving. So, thank you guys for coming into the into the light, as it as it were, and sharing your story with us today, man. It, it's really cool. Uh, both of you talked about being heavily involved in in church coming up, and obviously you're still heavily involved in church. Um, use the phrase Scott. I think all hands on deck. Um, this is not a, a rural country church. We're still a small new church. And so, um, but I, I think you hit something, um, you touched on something really important when you said it's not what we did, it's who we were. Um, again, obviously, it's still who both of you are, right? It's just, it's just who you are. But there seems to be a really important distinction, I think, between something being who you are versus what you do or a place where you go. Uh, for certain things Um, can like either one of you or both of you talk about a little little bit more about what it means to uh, be the church to have that be who you are Uh, what 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 more distinction would you give to that
2: so for us or for me church or Christ in the church which is his the body of Christ is the foundation of who I am and who we are Hmm. Uh, and a story that I'll share is this was brought home to me. I was in college. I was studying. I was studying nutrition. was home for the summer. And the interim pastor at my home church was talking to me saying, what are you doing? What's your major? And I told him, I says, it's nutrition. And he says, what a mission field you have chosen. Hmm. He says, you're not going to have to go overseas. You're not going to have to go Anywhere, but every day in what you do, you're going to be on a mission field. And I think that spoke volumes and volumes and volumes Mm -hmm. to me because I realized that God could use me wherever I was at and whatever I was doing. And I always remember is, you know, that I am part of the body of Christ. And I think to use a verse that Paul wrote in Galatians is, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me Mm. and gave himself for me. It's kind Mm. of what motivates and keeps us going.
1: That's really good. Really good. Scott, do you have anything you want to add to that one?
3: How can I top that?
1: Well, I'm not saying you can. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, Well, let me me ask you a follow-up question. Scott, you um, talked about in your service that there was sort of a, a, a change of heart in your service with the church. You said... Now, we started out really well wanting, wanting to serve, and, but we talked about how last week in our service, you guys may remember, Pastor James was talking about how sometimes good things can become God things. How really good things can become idols in our heart, and we can twist our motivations. And Scott, you talked about how your motivation got off a little bit, where you began to serve to get respect, um, and you felt like God allowing this condition of leukemia into your life sort of hit the pause button. And had you think about some things and and sort of re, recalibrate. Um, that's a these are lessons that aren't learned the easy way. I, I've found from personal experience. Um, but I, if you would talk a little bit more about this this shift in heart motivation and how it's impacted you, even even to today.
3: Well, first off, we do have the same T shirts sometimes. Yeah, we do. Um, and also, one thing I want to point out. That wasn't January 20th this year. That was a January 20th of 2005, so don't think this is
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, all of a sudden brand new to us because it's not. Um, when Early on, when I first started this journey uh, with the leukemia, as I mentioned in the video, it kicked my butt. It, you know, the treatment was really hard. And one of the things I started doing when I was having a really struggle or um, having a tough day or the nausea or the fatigue or whatever I started singing uh, songs to myself. Uh, Some old hymns that are very special to me and um, some praise songs. I'm not a big praise song person, but there are a couple I really love and a couple of contemporary Christian songs. And it was, I know, James just laughed because, you know, anyway. (laughs) Uh, I am definitely an old school guy, just so you know. But anyway, and what I found was Here I was struggling, but singing the songs, and it became praise. And that was good. Anyway, that continued, and it continues to this day. You know, if I'm having a a challenging day at work, here comes a song. If it's, um, you know, one of these days where the nausea hits really hard, here comes a song. And I realized that. One of the things that was lacking in my life before was the opportunities to praise and worship. Mm -hmm. Whereas now Mm -hmm. I find plenty of times to pray and have praise and worship. And another thing I discovered during this this time that has really affected my walk with God is realizing just how good He is. We forget the goodness of God. But when we're in, uh, it's easy when you're on the mountaintop, it's hard when you're in the valley but when you're in the valleys, when He shows His goodness.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good, man. I appreciate that encouragement for myself this morning. <laughs> you know, when when suffering turns to worship, that's a beautiful. That's beautiful. Oh, yeah. that, that's the work of God. That's good stuff. Uh, Georgiana, you talked about uh, changing slides, and those of you who, who saw that may have thought it weird. She said she felt like a, a real call to doing the slides. And you may think, well, What kind of calling is that? Well, I'm telling you, any calling from the Lord is a high calling, isn't it? And so um, we may think that those things are small. It's behind the scenes sort of thing. But um, you talked about how it had sort of a, it's had an impact on your life. Obviously, it has an impact on our church, right? Like your service is invaluable to us. Um, Talk about a little bit about how moving from like singing in the choir, big out front open, to serving behind the scenes, sort of in the background. What kind of impact has that had on your walk with the Lord?
2: You know, I think what I try to remember is that uh, there's not any small or insignificant task right. when God has called us. You know, we've all been equipped in different ways. We've all been given different gifts, different talents, different skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in 1 Corinthians, it tells us how, you know, there, some of us are hands and some are feet and some are ears and some are mouths. And we need to remember that, and uh, because we're all part of the body, and the church wouldn't function if we didn't all use our parts of the body. Uh, and every Sunday morning, you know, when we when the service ends and we're like, okay, it's a wrap. You know, to take something from uh, <laughs> from drama or whatever, it's a wrap. It's done, and you evaluate: was I effective? Uh, mm-hmm did I lead people in worship today? Did I stay on task keeping the slides up for the pastors and maybe leading them? Because I have actually led some pastors through their sermons at different times. Uh, I don't know why
1: she looked at me. I have no idea.
2: <laughs> no, it's not been you or James, but there have been some pastors that I have needed to lead through the sermon to keep them going. Uh, I have no doubt. No or doubt. And then, you know, you hear people say... Uh, it was a blessing for us. We were under the weather, or we were out of town, and we were able to join uh, the service, and you go, okay, God has called me to do this, to minister to others in this way, and I see that as a ministry, and uh, the same with my work every day, is is it's a ministry. It's what I've been called to do, and I'll, I'll share a poem with you guys. I was given this poem. I was in college, and one of the youth that had uh, done our choir with me, our youth choir at my home church, I had led it, and she was about three years younger than me. I was so surprised. You know, this was the days before cell phones and emails and social media, and to get a card in the mail was like, wow. So I got this card for my birthday, and there was this poem on the front of it that says, I expect to pass through this world but once. Any good thing, therefore, that I can do or any kindness I can show to any creature, let me do it now. Let me not defer or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. Mm. And I think I apply that to everything Mm. that I do. Every opportunity that's there is given to me by God.
1: Praise God. That's good. That's good. You know, when when I think of Scott or Georgiana, I think of Scott and Georgiana, right? Like... Like you guys are like the same, not the same person, but like you're a group, you're a unit, you know? Um, I wondered if you guys could talk more about like something, something I see sort of underlying in in your lives. Obviously you guys have your struggles. You've talked about some of those, Um, but there's an underlying joy and like celebration of life that you guys have specifically together, right? Like, Truly life partners is, is what you guys are. Um, and so I wondered if you could, could share with us a little bit about what it's like to, to do the journey of life with your husband and wife as your best friend, uh, but serving the Lord together. I was wondering if you could talk more about, about that.
2: When I read that question, Cherry, there was one word that popped up, challenging.
1: Sure, and yeah, it's yeah. all
2: through the grace of yes. God, and now I'm going to hand it off to Scott.
1: <laughs> that is awesome. Nice.
3: Yeah, there's an old trial lawyer adage which uh, states basically never ask a question unless you know what the answer is ahead of time. And I'm sure Georgiana just surprised Terry and most everybody else. I am challenging. Yes, I am. Very much so. You think that would surprise me, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> well, the way you had phrased the question, perhaps. Oh, 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 okay. Oh, oh. But uh, yeah, I'm okay. Georgiana is very, very organized. She plans to make plans. She's that type of person. She, uh, you know, if you want something planned or organized, she's the one to do it. Uh, and I'm a pretty good planner. I'll have the ideas in my head. But what I'm terrible at is communicating the ideas that are in my head to my wife. And um, that's something I've had to learn over the years, and I'm still not very good at it. So, you know, a lot of times when she says I'm challenging, she'll ask me, Well, have you done this? Or have you thought about this? Or this? I go, Yeah, I have plans for all those things. And they'll be like, Well, would you mind sharing those plans so I know what's in your head? (laughs) And uh, so that is the aspect of being challenged. And also, I can. Not that you would ever know this, but I have a bad tendency. I have to keep it in check. I'm pretty arrogant at times. So I have to, you know, especially when it comes in, things that are within my wheelhouse. So, you know, Um, I am a tyrant in the kitchen, just so you know. So if you ever volunteer to cook at Transformation Village, be prepared. I will show you the correct way to hold a knife. (laughs) Anyway, but. Getting back to the true essence of the question, yes, for me, it's joyful working with Georgiana. She has been an incredible workmate and companion, lover. I mean, just, you know, you couldn't ask for a better person to spend life with. And she keeps me on task, which is awesome because I need someone to keep me on task. So it's been, you know, I think back to when we were, when I was first diagnosed and Georgiana was there, she was a rock, yeah. You know, and I needed that rock. Mm-hmm. So we've been a great team together. Um, I have learned some from her, and I hope that she has learned a little bit more patience for me.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I appreciate uh, the Adams sharing.
1: Thank you guys so much. <laughs> yeah. uh, next, we'll, we'll hear from Megan Evans.
0: I grew up in the church, at least in my early years. I was saved when I was six. I don't remember if like something happened at church that day, but I was trying to get out of trouble is what I was trying to do. And I knew that if I told my parents, like, hey, I just accepted Jesus into my heart, then I would get out of trouble for whatever I did. And it worked. So I would say I felt like excited, like I wanted to go to church and tell my friends, but every Sunday there was just a lot of focus on salvation, 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 like we would all have to close our eyes, people would raise their hands if they got saved. And so while like none of that is inherently wrong, that's the memory I have is just being terrified of going to hell and terrified that I wasn't saved. I felt so guilty, and I didn't want to share that with anybody. Like, I didn't want to tell my parents that I was questioning it. I didn't want to tell anybody at the church. I still had this version of me that, like, my parents knew about, people at church knew about, trying to maintain this image of, I'm a perfect Christian girl, but I was struggling so much with wanting to be loved and accepted. I wanted to know that somebody could, like, hear all that and not want to push me away. So, in middle school, that was the start of just getting into some really unhealthy relationships. I would be whoever they wanted me to be, I would do whatever they wanted me to do just so I could feel like loved and feel known. And so by the time I got to college in Middle Tennessee, that really unhealthy pattern of relationship continued, except for in college, there wasn't just one relationship, it was multiple relationships. And even with friendships, like whatever people were doing at the time, whether it was alcohol, partying, whatever it was, that's what I was doing to, to fit in. And I was going to church, um, like off and on. I wasn't there every Sunday. The church that I ended up in was gospel-centered, but I would say at first, I don't think I was being convicted by the sermons, but it was really the people that made the difference. The college pastor at the time, him and his wife invited me over. They let me eat with them. We played a card game. And then they let me take leftovers home to my dorm, and I was like, what are we doing? Like, this is weird. Uh, That was the first time anyone had ever, like, invited me into their, like, regular rhythms of their household. So I think that was the start of it, just having people let me enter into normal life with them, but also at the same time, like asking really intentional questions and at the same time not, like just letting me come over and have fun, uh, I think was the most important thing for me. I had gone home for winter break and I just remember feeling absolutely exhausted with the way I was living, with myself, with my thoughts, like I was just miserable. And I feel like it was that, moment on top of a like another million small moments of like the church coming around me that I really felt like the Lord changed my heart like I was actually saved when I got back to college that's when I started opening up about the things that I had done like the spot that I was in and so I was able to finally stop hiding where I was, and I feel like that's the moment that the Lord was like, okay, now I can work in you. Like, you had to give up a lot of what you were doing and a lot of what you were hiding before you could see. I could see His goodness, that He actually knows everything that I've done and the depths of it, and He still loves me anyway. Around the time that all this was going on, I met Dylan and we started dating in 2014 and got married in 2015. The church in general just came alongside of us and prayed for us, asked us really intentional questions. And like I said before, the church acting like a family um, is what gave Dylan and I just our love for the church. And also it made me realize that I wanted to pursue biblical counseling because you can counsel people in that really familial way where you're coming alongside of people in the way that I was counseled. So I just want to be able to extend that to others. If I could talk to younger Megan, I would say that Christ is a friend of sinners and that he is enough. And that you don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to search the world for things that will make you feel better. Things that you think will satisfy because it's not there. And that Christ will so run to Him right now, (laughs) whatever you do. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Good stuff, Megan. You had... uh you had mentioned that as a, as a child, you made sort of like this false profession of, of faith in Jesus so you would, wouldn't be in trouble with your parents or whatever, all the wrong reasons uh, to do such a thing. Um, but as a parent yourself now, what types of things are you doing to create an environment that's more conducive to your own children making a genuine uh, profession of faith, having a genuine salvation experience uh, with Jesus?
0: Um, I, like I said, I think, um, I was, there was so much focus on like me being a sinner and like not going to hell that, um, I had really nailed that part down. Like I knew I was, I was a sinner. And so that like made me feel really like guilty. Um, so thinking about that, like wanting to create a a full picture for Poppy Mm -hmm. and Oliver, um, I really try to emphasize forgiveness, um, and just who Jesus is. So, um, if I get angry with her and have to ask for forgiveness, like I do it even at, I mean, I've been doing that since she could like walk basically. Cause yeah. I want to get in that habit of asking for forgiveness. Yeah. Um, and so if I do something wrong, I'll like get down on my knees and I'll say like, Hey, do you, um, mommy uh, needs to ask for forgiveness do you forgive me and she says yes or sometimes she'll say no because she has no idea what I'm saying um (laughs) or sometimes she'll say that she forgives like she like will ask for my forgiveness too which is really cute yeah um so I'll ask her that and um I'll tell her like well why does mommy forgive you and she always says Jesus and I say Mm. yeah I I can forgive, or you can forgive me, and I can forgive you because Jesus forgave me. Like, yes. I want to make that distinction with her. Mm. Um, and so, like, letting her know that that forgiveness comes outside of me. Like, it's not just, um, like, I want her to see Jesus more than she sees me. in yes. that. Um, and then also just, we read a lot of books and talk a lot about Jesus together, just yeah. who he is, and... Um, that he's real, that she can go to him. He's not some like fictional character in a yeah. book. Um, yeah. Like just trying to make him as real as possible to her.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful, man. Gospel-centered lives. Like it's the good news everywhere, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Really cool. Um, you talked about, and this I'm sure some of you related to this part of your journey. You talked about having this, like, um, inner ache to feel loved. That kind of put you in a mode of existence in life where you were um, you were tempted to do pretty much what you thought people wanted you to do uh, so that you could feel like you belonged. And then if you felt like you belonged and then you would be happy, right? But, but we've seen, and you've seen, if you've been down that path yourself, that that does actually does the opposite. It does not lead to happiness. It leads to more hurts and more pain. Um, can you speak a little bit more to why, why it is that that path that looks so promising, that, that promises happiness of fitting in and doing the, whatever the cultural thing is at the time, why does it ultimately and inevitably lead to emptiness? And also, um, what is it that can actually fulfill that longing in us? It seems that that longing is an intentional thing, but we, we, we misguide our search for it, fulfillment.
0: Um, Well, for me specifically, it was with relationships. And so, like, God gave us relationships. They're good. Um, Mm -hmm. So a lot of stuff that looks like it should be fulfilling, it actually is a good gift that we have just um, put way too much weight on. So that's, for me, what I was doing was putting all of my weight, all of myself into relationships, hoping that they would be able to return and they can't. It's a weight that relationships Mm -hmm. can't handle. Um, and so even now in marriage, I have to be careful with that too because Dylan, like you know, knows me and loves me as much as he can. Um, but he's also a sinner, and so he fails me in loving me and knowing me. Um, so he's just a picture of what Christ is supposed to do. Like that's the ultimate fulfillment. Um, so I have to remind myself that a lot. Like, no, Christ fulfills me, so I can go to Him. Um, not even my marriage or my kids or even like good things, they ultimately will fail because it's a weight that they can't carry, Mm -hmm. um, but Christ can. So that was a Mm -hmm. really important lesson for me.
1: Really good stuff. Um, You talked about, uh, I, I enjoyed this part of your testimony as well. You talked about your college pastor and his wife sort of, inviting you into their lives and sharing food was a weird thing, sending you home with food, but how that was like a turning point for you where they asked difficult questions and they also didn't ask difficult questions. Like you, they, they had an intentional walk with you where let's do life together. And that includes sometimes having like real deep, meaningful, difficult conversations. And that's something I noticed with you and Dylan, that you guys walk together with people you, you befriend people, you do life with people, and loving someone and being someone's friend also involves having difficult conversations. So I've seen you guys model that uh, together. Can you talk about why both of those components are essential uh, in our relationships with, with one another?
0: Um, I I think... If you have just one aspect, so if you just have really hard intentional conversations with someone, they'll eventually feel like a project, like you're just Mm -hmm. trying to change them. Mm -hmm. And I have felt that from other people and I've also done that to people. It's really easy to do. Um, But then the flip side is if you're just having fun, then the relationship is really shallow. You're not really getting anywhere. Um, And you're not like shaping each other like we're supposed to as the body. Um, And so what I talk about in counseling a lot is that we're embodied souls. And so I have like spiritual needs that people like um, it's really important for people to ask me questions. It's important for me to be intentional about making sure um, we're talking about Jesus and um, the joy that he brings and talking about sin and confessing that. But um, that I also have, like, I need to eat food and have fun and I need to cry with people, like, exactly what Jesus did. So I think, like, his ministry was perfect because he did both. Like, he, um, he talked about his father. He talked about he was the only way. Um, he called out sin when he needed to, um, but he also broke bread with people, and he wept with people and laughed with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's really important to have both of those.
1: Good, good stuff. Um, you, you gave an account of coming home from um, from break during college, and how it was like the, the culmination, I think the phrase you used was a, a million tiny moments. And um, I think that that's a familiar experience to to us in our journey with the Lord, our journey to coming to Christ. That it's it's usually not like one lightning bolt sort of moment. It's it's a, a culmination of tiny moments scattered throughout our lives, where we looking back we can see God has been working right. And so, I just wonder what you might say out there to people who have loved ones or friends or neighbors or whatever, and. They're, those people are still in the million tiny moments, right? We haven't seen them come to Christ. We haven't seen them delivered from whatever you know, addiction they have or, or sin they have in their lives. They're still sort of stacking those moments. In some ways, we all are. But what, what encouragement would you give to us in that regard?
0: Um I would just say not to give up on people um because I it people are frustrating it is frustrating to walk with people <laughs> sure. um and I'm sure that in college I frustrated a lot of people in fact, I know I did because my uh after the fact our pastors told me like yeah, you were really frustrating times, <laughs> yeah, right. because they saw like okay I I see Megan like redeemed Megan and I want that for her and I see the path that she's walking and so it's really frustrating yeah. to to not be able to see that come to fruition. Um, But they didn't give up on me. They prayed for me. Um, So I think when it feels like you're kind of at your wit's end with somebody, like just don't give up on them um, because Jesus didn't give up on me, and I'm Mm. really thankful for that. Yeah,
1: Good stuff. Can we thank Megan for sharing her story with us? (laughs) Let's hear from Scotty Parks.
4: Chris is five and a half, and Scotty is nine and a half. Scotty, come on into the picture.
2: Come
4: on, come on, and, uh, Scotty. Give me Growing up for me, uh, I was blessed. Both my parents were in my life, and both parents loved the Lord. So I have a sister who's younger than me, and we both grew up loving the Lord. But I think, like many young people, when you get into middle school and high school, I wanted to be seen as being, you know, cool. And a lot of times, it meant I compromised what I know God's Word says to fit in. And I think that was something that would happen with me, especially in college and uh, even into my young adulthood. You know, I'm going out and kind of going to clubs and. I think at best there were times where I was just lukewarm in my walk with Christ and I would get convicted and I would go to church more for a while, but then kind of just go back and forth. But then there just became a point where that conviction was a little bit stronger, more present. And it was just the Lord tugging on me saying, this is not the life I have for you. And so I started to make a a shift uh, in my mid twenties, I'd say and the Lord is so good, he introduced me to Lizette. And we were both making some positive moves in our life and changes towards the Lord. And uh, 2008, we got married. Right before our anniversary, I got a phone call from Lizette and she said, my mom's not feeling well we basically found out she had colon cancer. And September 11th, 2009, she passed away. That was a very tough one year anniversary for us. We did the best we could. And uh, exactly a year later, uh, I get a call from my dad. He says, your mom's colonoscopy wasn't good. And it turns out she had colon cancer as well. After hearing that news, we were obviously just destroyed. We went home, I remember, and we just prayed. And I'm not one to say, God said this to me. And, you know, I, I heard this from God. Like, this is a one time thing in my life where, as clear as I've ever heard God's voice, it wasn't audible, obviously, but it was, Your mama's gonna be okay. I'm gonna heal your mom, and you haven't been living the life you should live. There's people in your life that don't even know your faith. Uh, They don't understand the gospel, and you're not sharing it. You need to live the life of a disciple. So I got two very clear messages from God. He was gonna heal my mom, and I had work to do. God healed my mom, and she's cancer-free. She never did chemo, she never did radiation, she never did any of that. Like, I knew I had to do something about that. I wanted to really figure out what was my lane, and uh, I got reintroduced to Christian hip-hop music during that time. And this thought hit my mind, like, This is how you can tell people about the Lord, like you can do this. And so long story short, I started using hip hop to share the gospel. I didn't know what God was gonna do. I knew that he called me to it. He never said, you're gonna be this huge artist and you're gonna have this huge following and you're gonna lead millions to Christ. He just said, do this work and I'll take care of your family. So along the way, we had to make a lot of sacrifices. We sold our house, we really had to scale back. But God was with us and he provided and he taught us how to trust Him. And I think the important thing that I learned in that 10, 12 years or so of doing music was that as much as I was thinking I was doing things for the Lord, like He was refining me and teaching me what it looks like to live a life of faith, what it looks like to really live like you believe His word. It was invaluable, but I'm in a new season of life now, and the Lord has taught me and is teaching me that the mission doesn't change. You know, I used to think when I was doing music, man, like if I just go back to a nine to five, like I'm not gonna be able to reach as many people. And like the outcome doesn't belong to me. The outcome belongs to the Lord. It's my job to be faithful wherever he puts me. And right now where he has me is I go to work I get to do a job where I can impact people's lives there. You know, I can pour into my daughter and my wife. That's my greatest ministry right now. My daughter is at an age where these are critical years to build that foundation, and we spend time every night, you know, in the Lord's Word, uh, doing devotionals, memorizing Bible verses, and for me, God has taken me from this lukewarm young teenager trying to figure it out to a non-perfect disciple of Christ. And I'm proud to be that. And I want to continue to inspire other people to, to live for
1: Christ as well. Stuff, man. Scotty, you talked about how looking back, uh, you can see a time in your life, you, you talked about it at the beginning and the end, where you were in this lukewarm sort of situation. You felt like God at one point was kind of tugging on your soul and was like, this is not the life that I have I have for you. I have a different, different life. I was wondering if you could unpack that, how that felt, that scenario a little bit. And specifically, I'm thinking about people here today or maybe people watching online that... Maybe they're they're in a lukewarm place with God, but don't realize they're in a lukewarm place with God. Um, what are some ways that you recognize that, and some ways that maybe other folks can recognize? Hey, am I am I lukewarm?
4: Yeah, um, I think one being in a lukewarm place is, um, is very easy to be in that place because it's mm-hmm. it's a place of comfort. Uh, we kind of draw towards that place if we're not careful. And, um, you know, I, I became a Christian at a very young age. Uh, and so I think when people become Christians at young ages, like I was nine years old, um, there's this slow drift that can happen as the people you're around start making worse decisions. You get into high school and mm-hmm. drugs and alcohol and partying and, and all those things start happening. And you want to you wanna be cool. You want to be like the other people that, you know, you're around. And uh, I think that happened for me. But the way we live as Christians, I think we have to kind of have this internal check on ourselves. Uh, and there's a few things I think that are like a, a barometer um, mm-hmm. to kind of say, where am I at? And it's like, what are your attitude towards the things of God? You know, how do you feel about going to church? Do you feel like I don't want to be here? I don't, you know, if you're starting to feel those ways, if you're not praying, if you're not seeking him, then those are those are identifiers to say, mm. I need to check my heart right now and really see where, what are my priorities, and are they of God? So mm. that that happened for me, and you know, I thank God for that.
1: Yeah, for sure. There was a uh, there's a part in your testimony there that uh, may cause a lot of people to ask questions, and there it was the part where the Lord. Um, chose not to heal Lizette's mother, and the Lord chose to heal your mother. And I think for a lot of us, we can see things like that in our lives, and it's, it's, it's confusing. You know, why uh, would the Lord do that sort of thing or not do that sort of thing? And the two really different outcomes from a pretty similar situation that, that you guys walked through um, I was wondering if you could share with us maybe some of the thoughts and emotions that you guys have processed together, experiencing those two different things um, and, you know, with God choosing to heal one and, and not the other. What, how, can we, how can we learn from your story? How did you process that sort of thing?
4: Man, um, one, praise God, my mom is right here in the audience today. 13 years uh that was a modern day miracle what we what we witnessed uh from what the doctor told us and what what the outcome was you know the doctor prepared us for uh a long battle, and like I said, she just you know god healed her and so we we praise god for him we praise him for that um I was so excited when that happened and I just wanted to share what God had done and so I remember I would be sharing just so excited about God healing my mom and I wanted to get on any stage I could and tell that and uh I remember one one day I was sharing I, and I just happened to look over at Lizette and um, she just it was a look obviously of joy because you know what had God had done for my mother but also I could see the sadness in her eyes that what about her mom, you know? And I asked her like, you know, when you talk about processing that, how do you process it? And her answer was, you know, I can't say that I processed it, you know, but I accept it. Mm. And I think as Christ followers, we sometimes just have to accept God's will. We can't understand it. we don't know why, we're thankful for when he does heal. And we just have hope uh, that we'll have answers when we get to heaven. And, you know, there's some silver linings that happen. There's some good things that happen. Her family is stronger than they they ever were before. They had to, they came together and it brought her brothers uh, closer to her family. Um, uh, you know, we got stronger because our one year anniversary, we were dealing with things like this. And now I can say that, you know, we're stronger. Uh, we have a stronger foundation because some of the things we had to go through. Uh, and then lastly, she has hope. Her mother was a Christ follower. And her answer is like, I don't know what I would do if my mom wasn't a Christ follower. It'd be so much tougher. And so we, we have that hope uh, that we'll
1: see her again. And, it, and it's a sure hope, isn't it? The, yeah. the gospel really is great news. Yeah. It really is great news. I appreciate that, man. I, yeah, I just I just want to echo that. And it's um, something I, I'm learning as well. I I'm not sovereign. Not only am I not all wise, I'm not wise, right? I'm not good, right? Like, um, and I, but I trust the one who is. Yeah, yeah it's good. Really good stuff. Um, you said in there, you talked about how there were two things that, that you said you about how the Lord uh, shifted your s- sort of field of ministry, right? Like he, he, there was a change in there from you. And you had said that um, when God called you into music that um, he didn't promise any particular outcome, right? Uh, he didn't say you're going to do this or do that. You, just, you later said in the video that the outcome doesn't belong to you right, but that you said God was just asking you, hey, do this work, right, um, do, do this work. Uh, I wonder if you could speak a little bit more about uh, what it looks like sort of on the ground to view success from, as like God's v- version of success versus what we want success to look like, like sort of man's version of, of success, um, yeah, during, sort of during that process. What what that look like for you?
4: Well, I think it's, talk about processing, I think it's been a 10 year uh, learning for me, just trying to figure out like what, what did God do during that time and, and reflecting. But uh, I can remember, you know, the point where we were like six years into doing this. I was doing music, I was, you know, working a pretty taxing job, running a non-profit, um, Boys and Girls Club, and, um, you know, finally God, Called us to to make a big step, like we sold our house. We we went all in with music, and I was just in my mind. I was like, smiling, like God is really, he's about to do it. You know, like (laughs) the music is really gonna take off now because he's he's obviously guiding us, and we've been faithful with with the little, and 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 this is where you know he's gonna come through. And um, God's view of success when he calls us to something. Often looks so much different than what we make it to be, or what we mm-hmm. think it's gonna be. Mm-hmm. Like his, his idea of success for us was that uh, throughout that ten plus years, no, no need, never, no need was unmet. We had everything we needed, um, but there was there wasn't excess. Um, his idea of success was sometimes I was working a part-time job sweeping floors at a print shop, uh, you know, living with my parents for for longer than we ever thought we would. <laughs> Shout out to my parents for letting yeah. us do that. Uh, it it was it was his idea of success was much different than than what I than what I thought it would be, um, but his plan is good. And I think everything that we went through, everything we learned, it prepared us for where we are now and where we're going to be in the future. Mm -hmm. And so I think we can have this short, short short-minded view of what success is, but it's really in God's hands. And that's that's what being a disciple is about. I think it's just uh, being willing and open to go wherever
1: he chooses and whatever the outcome is. That's good. Like that's the call, right? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Just be faithful. The Lord is the Lord. You're not. Just be faithful. Trust Him. Next step. Next step. Um, you talked about how, speaking of that, sort of the context of the mission changes, but the mission is the same, right? The, and that mission, you talked about in the context of of Nadia, and even with your wife and, and your relationships, you talked about that that mission is d- making disciples, isn't it? Right? You can do that through music. You can do that in the workplace. And whatever, but the mission is the same. And you said that you do so as no longer a a lukewarm Christian, but now a, I like the phrase you used, a not perfect follower of Jesus, right? Like a a not perfect disciple of Christ. I wonder if you could kind of unpack a little bit what it means to to follow Jesus, A, regardless of, of, of the outcome, like we talked about, but regardless of what context we find ourselves in, right? So none of us, are going to be hip hop artists, right? Like especially me, right? It's not. It's not going to happen. No, especially we might James might have
4: one in the back, but yeah, yeah one in the back. Yeah.
1: Not James for sure. <laughs> um, but so, but but all of us have a calling to be a disciple and make disciples where we are. I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit.
4: Yeah. Um, as as many people as I was in front of during that ten year, uh, you know, journey. That part of the journey, um, you would think that God wouldn't be using uh, the bigger stage to prepare me for the smaller stage. Yeah, like now, that's good. Yeah. I have my family, uh, my daughter, who's seven years old, who uh, I'm proud to to say she she knows more Bible verses than I knew when I was in my <laughs> 30s. You know, so she's got all these Bible verses memorized. We spend all this time talking about uh, our relationship with the Lord, and she just she's grasping so much um god was using the bigger stage to prepare me for for now it's good and i think that speaks volumes to how god works just you know we always say the lord works in mysterious ways uh that's so true and one thing my dad taught me uh he would always say this and he it, it just stuck with me it was Anything you do, do it to the glory of the Lord. And, of course, he got that from the, from the Bible. And, um, and I would say, like, well, what if I'm playing basketball? Do it to the glory of the Lord. Yeah. Be, a, be a good teammate. Um, you know, have a good attitude. Uh, what if you're at work? You know, be that example. Be the light in that place that you are. And so I think that's what being a disciple is about. Wherever you are, do, do it to the glory of the Lord. It doesn't matter if anybody's watching or not. Do it to the glory of the Lord. That's good. Good stuff.
1: Hey, can we thank all of our folks once again for sharing their stories today? (laughs) Thank you, guys. It's a vulnerable thing, so so thank you so much. Pastor James is going to come lead us in the Lord's Supper and a time of reflection and thinking about what we um, have, have heard today and how the Lord has spoken to us. Thank you guys again.